everybody and welcome to the classroom. So we are kind of kicking off mid, not necessarily mid-series, but mid-franchise, I guess. Um, it's beginning of this one, though. So like, Yeah, we're uh, not like those... queuing up in the middle of everything. But... Yeah, that's true. Uh, for those that uh, do not remember, this is the uh, second series of Percy Jackson, Heroes of Olympus, starting with uh, the first book, The Lost Hero. Which does not, in fact feature Percy at all. No. I remember reading this as a kid being like, oh, what? Alright. Hmm, he's not in the first chapter. The second <laughs> one's bound to happen. And then that keeps repeating until chapter 56. And you go, hmm. Mm-hmm. And then they're like, I bet you I know where Percy is. Um, like, oh, yes. Seven. Oh. Boom. Um, <laughs> but we're going to try something a little bit different because like Brett said, this is a huge book. It is not Order of the Phoenix large. However, the formatting is super different. For us to go chapter by chapter, we would be here all night. Uh Uh-huh. So, for the sake of your time and ours, uh, we are just going to do a sort of uh, super, like, hyper summary. (laughs) Basically, I'm not going to open the book. I'm just going to ramble, like, plot points that I remember. And, Brett, you can fill in wherever you think. Yeah. I'm missing something. So we kick off with a uh, random boy who we assume is named Jason, stuck on a bus in the middle of nowhere, holding hands with a girl he doesn't know, because guess what? He doesn't know who he is. They're on their way to a field trip to the Grand Canyon, in which, in the Grand Canyon, uh, they meet a mean wind spirit thing who yeets them into the Grand Canyon. Um, Jason saves, turns out to be Piper and Leo, uh, but um, turns out uh, they're... Somehow. <laughs> this is so chaotic. Um, the, turns out their teacher is a satyr, uh, but the wind spirit just yoink. Um, <laughs> right out of there. Just li- literally the, the Zephyr, as they're called, throws him down the Grand Canyon and he is disappeared. And then <laughs> well, he, he gets snatched up and left but, uh, after that as well. But he, he's gone for all intents and purposes for a bit. <laughs> for the solid half of this book. Um, and then in flies Annabeth. Uh, and she's like, hey, you're not my boyfriend. Uh, what? And yeah, so, why are you here? Right. So now we've learned that all three of these kids, Jason, Piper, and Leo, are in fact half-bloods. Uh, so they get whisked away to Camp Half-Blood. Um, we find out that Leo is a son of Hephaestus. Uh, Piper is a daughter of Aphrodite. And of course, Jason is actually the son of Jupiter, not Zeus. There's a distinction there. He can speak Latin. (laughs) And he's got a tattoo, and he doesn't like the orange shirts. Which is reasonable. Nobody should like the orange shirts. They're a little little much. Um, But, so then we learn that um, Hera has been kidnapped. Uh, The Prophecy of the Seven from the last, the end of the last series is now kicking off. And it is starting with these three kids. Um, But, uh, they get a quest to go find and save Hera. We also learn that Piper, uh, her dad has been kidnapped. She is terrified, um, and she knows that she'll have to betray her friends to save her dad, um, which is, like, the only family member she has. Um, Leo does find the evil dragon thing that's hurt a bunch of other campers, tames it, uses it to start flying them across the nation. First off, they, ha- they hop, over to co- uh, hop over to Canada, meet up with the wind god. The wind god goes, hey, uh, you should die. His daughter is like, ooh, you should leave Jason for me because I think he's pretty. And the wind god transforms to his uh, Latin form and is like, y'all can go, but you gotta, you gotta catch the demon boys. You gotta catch the wind spirits for me. They yeet off, go again. And um, <laughs> blink immediately. Uh, they end they're, up. They're flying on the dragon that Leo has sort of gotten uh, when it starts uh, sort of screwing up uh, and gets a little ba- uh, sort of bad, shaky, starts uh, like flaring up and smoking. Turbulence, if you will. If turbulence took down the plane. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's big turbulence. You're on a dragon and it's on fire. So like tur- <laughs> turbulence plus. Um, crash down. Uh, trying to take safety, find themselves at the castle of Midas. You know, the turn-everything-gold boy. Um, and then he, in fact, turns everybody gold. 
except for Jason. Except for except for Jason. Jason um, then fights his son, who's like boy of the the killing. Um, I can't remember actually what his name is, uh, or what his like descriptor is. Jason fights him, but with his new and improved Roman techniques, defeats him. Um, and they have to dip Piper in the river to get her to not be gold. Yeah, because uh, the the only way to cure the uh, the Midas touch is to be bathed in flowing water. <laughs> you said Midas touch as if it was like the cheese touch from Diarrhea. <laughs> um. Okay. So it's like so on their way. <laughs> the crash course of the random battles that happen in this book. Yeah, like I feel like I don't know. I'm. I, they're fun, but the the main important one is at the gorge, and then after that, it's kind of just exposition, um, with fights in the middle of them. Uh, and each there's like one for each person. So, uh, Jason can fly. Yeah, Piper that's true. Can Jason can fly. Sweet talk people, and Leo can build things fast. <laughs> um, Leo's power is the abilities that you have in um, like the Lego games, where you just hold down circle and like, chunk, 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 and then you just get like, you got a boat now. <gasps> that's the best way I've ever heard those described. It's so good. Uh, so once they get the dragon, they're sort of flying off. Uh, they're, they go through a couple different fights and adventures, but they're, like, learning the extents of their powers and what they can do. All the while, like, Piper's having her dreams of, like, the evil giant sort of speaking to her and telling her, hey, kill your friends. Leo's <laughs> figuring out, uh, the spirit that's been, like, haunting him, which is somewhat related to Juno or Paris kind of part. And they go through, like, a junkyard. They go through, uh, the castle of King Midas. Uh, they go through a couple other things, all while meeting a little bit from their parents. So they go through the Cyclopes junkyard. Uh, they meet with King Midas, and they meet with uh, Medea. And then after all of that sort of shenanigans, they're sort of uh, proving themselves, showing off their individual sort of strengths. They find out that Gaia is awakening, which is bad, and they're trying to figure out how exactly to escape that and what to do there. At some point, they meet up with they meet up with the hunters of Artemis, and we really get to the plot point that Talia, from the last series, is in fact Jason's sister. They kind of have like the family exposition there and the hunters agree. Yes. The hunters are trying to find Percy, but the hunters agree to help them throughout the kind of end of their quest. They have this kind of heart to heart and Piper, you know, tells the boys, hey, listen, uh, so I need to murder you guys and betray you to save my dad. And Jason's like, we're good. No, 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 you don't have to kill us. Uh, we understand that you kind of had to, but you don't have to. We'll help you. And I think we can still save Hera. Talia sprinkles in some good information about where to find Hera. In the we... layer of Enceladus, I believe his yeah. name was. Enceladus? No, that's where Piper's dad was. Hera is actually in the yard of the mansion that belonged to the author Jack London. Oh, yes. Uh, you remember like four episodes, five episodes ago when we were talking about how like random people in history are demigods? Jack London is one of those. Much like George Washington, we rewrite history and Jack London is a demigod. Um, and he like has some sort of importance there. So um, they go, they fight the giant that has Piper's dad uh, captive. Little help from Zeus. Boom. Piper's dad is saved. Aphrodite does give Piper a potion that helps her, like, erase her dad's memory to keep him from going absolutely crazy. Hedge, the satyr that they rescued a while back, takes Piper's dad, yoinks him right out of there, sends him back to Texas, I think, Oklahoma, Texas, one of those two. Uh, something. something like Miscellaneous that. southern state. And then they go to the fight, uh, and it turns out it is in the, it's at the place at the beginning of all Roman demigods, like, origin. Um, and it's the, the House of the Wolves, and Lupa, the, the Queen of the Wolves, is who guides the Roman demigods into their, into their like, roles as demigods. Uh, they save Hera after a good old-fashioned battle there. Uh, return Hera then yoinks them to camp. They go to camp. They uh, talk about all their, their struggles and such. Piper uh, dethrones the mean Aphrodite girl as head of the Aphrodite cabin. The Hephaestus cabin just kind of grants it to Leo. They're like, please take this. We're tired of, tired of getting murdered. You, you didn't die. Um, and then they all go to their little end of the meeting thing in which they just are like, you know, round circle with all the heads of the 
of the cabins and they talk about the prophecy is starting and it turns out those three of course like i said earlier are part of the seven and so is annabeth that's the plot uh we missed a lot but also that's it that's what Anything we need to know we missed we are going to go anything that we missed that is important we are going to sort of touch on again when it comes time for themes which it basically is now we do have a handful of themes to talk about we're going to talk about a little bit of kind of character like building on these characters as well because of course these three characters are going to take us through the rest of the series and a lot of the themes that we see in this book are also going to take us through the rest of the series um, obviously, we mentioned Hera multiple times in our recap, and she plays a huge role in this book, mm-hmm. in these characters' lives, and we learn that she plays a pretty big role um, throughout the series. So uh, a little bit of pieces we skipped in the recap is, of course, Hera um, intervenes like hands-on in all three of their lives at some point. Leo's started at a young age. She appeared to him as an aunt, basically allowed him to, like, stretch the means of his fire abilities that he has for being the son of Hephaestus. Uh, She literally took Jason from his, his, like, mother when he was, like, two years old to train him to be a demigod or, like, to lead him to the the house of the wolves. I'm trying to imagine, like, two-year-old Jason, like, fighting a wolf. Dude is pretty John knowing this. I'm sure he figured out something. <laughs> and then, of course, we see a little less so in Piper's life. Still enough, um, she kind of directly speaks to Piper multiple times. Yeah, um, <laughs> Hera is Hera's a big uh, in this. Uh, Hera and technically Juno. I don't know the distinction between one or the other, except for Juno's got a cool cloak. That's the only difference in my book so far. However that seems like something that's going to be important in this. So uh, for this, for just say it now, uh, Roman gods are slightly different than their uh, Greek and thus have different personalities and different offspring. So Harris. Yeah. We get to see that specifically in Talia and Jason. Uh, Talia, of course, is our like punk rock leader of the forever maiden queens here the the best character in percy jackson right so like because we get talia who's afraid of heights who's very rebellious and like just kind of she has like control issues (laughs) um and then you have jason who is very like poised made for war very proper in his fighting abilities and techniques Mm -hmm. um and plain yeah poor okay jason gets the short end of the stick sometimes and i'm gonna save that for when we get to the end of the episode um but yeah i think Hera's interventions are so heavy um and it literally affects the fate of these characters yeah to the point where it feels almost like she's i know she's trying to like tip the scales in their favor and like that's the point of her intervening but she full-on like puts her hand on the scale like it is this is like her thing here yeah she's um has a lot of influence Mm -hmm. i mean especially in of course in jason's life and really in leo's too a lot of the doubt we see in Leo, um, especially at the beginning half of this book, comes from the fact that his mother died in a fire that he thinks he created. Hera, in her intervening in, in Leo's life, sets it up that way. She was the one encouraging him to be able to use his ability, um, and she frequently still visits Leo, which is one piece that didn't fit for me in the amount of times I've read this book. It's the first time it's jumped out at me. Leo sees Hera at camp, when Will Solis is leading Leo around camp, he sees Hera disguised as his aunt. Mm-hmm. But she's also supposed to be in a cage across the... Yeah, I... That one took me for a loop, too. I assumed that it was just sort of like... Uh, I, I assumed it was just something to do with, like, oh, the gods can be in many places at once. They are, like, mm-hmm. omniscient. Uh, so I assumed it was, like, her full force was not there, but she was able to communicate in some ways i mean the other two got visions so i i kind of just assumed this was like a weaker one that makes sense but that just threw me i was like i don't i don't like this this doesn't set right and i guess with inner like introducing this we also see all three of their godly parents intervene um zeus is probably the most Mm hands-off but he does he helps jason defeat the giant which of course the only way you can defeat a giant is if god's 
and demigods work together to, to defeat them. Um, so we see Jason call on his dad to help him out. Leo's dad visits him, you know, lets him know that he's been watching him, that he's doing great, lets him know that he's received the blessing because he's like one of his better children or whatever, mm-hmm. and takes the destroyed dragon back to camp so Leo can work on him. And then, of course, we see Aphrodite intervene multiple times with Piper. Um, Piper suffers from not like other girls. <laughs> yeah, she's a pick-me a little bit. Yeah, and we'll talk about that a little bit more when we get kind of in-depth on the characters, because we'll have three characters today, of course, which will be our three main characters here. Mm-hmm. But um, we see twice that Aphrodite just really throws Piper off of her rhythm. Um, of course, when she claims her and she you know, beautifies her, um, puts her in makeup, levels off her hair, yada, yada. And then again, in a dream, she, ta- she sits down and she talks with Piper about, you know, making sure her dad doesn't know that, you know, that Aphrodite is who she is, um, making sure that everybody remains kind of stable and that it's okay to be in love and be girly, um, and then drops her in a cafe. (laughs) (laughs) So it's like, we've seen more godly intervention in this book alone than the entire first series. Yeah. Because it seemed like, and I don't know if it was just like the result of this, and but we'll see later that the gods pull away a lot because they're not communicating. But for people who aren't communicating, they are really communicating to their children. <laughs> yeah, um, I thought that was a little weird. I also, I would like to say, um, I think Hephaestus seemed a lot different uh, than we had seen him previously because we had met him before. Uh, his He was just very sort of like closed off um, but in this one, he is a lot more open, and not only that, he is—he—he he just seems like a little bit more, like revealed. And I'm not sure if that's just that he, uh, uh, Riordan decided to like sort of change up the characterization of him, or if it's just because he's talking to his kid. But he felt a lot different. That's what I pinned it off on was the fact that he was talking to his kid, mm-hmm. who also is very similar to him. You know, Leo is the outsider of his of his friends, and we'll talk a little bit on that when we get into the one of our other themes. Leo is the odd one out, just like Hephaestus is of the of the twelve. Um, so I think that the reason, like I said, I think that that pair that like that friendliness from Hephaestus came yeah. out because it was his kid, and it was his kid who had the most like blessings from him. Yeah, because we learned earlier in the book that. Um, the ability to control fire and be like immune to fire is very rare in children of Hephaestus, but not unlikely. So this talk of the gods intervening, of course, opens up our, our discussion on the theme of fate versus free will. And it's a theme that we will see throughout the entirety of this book, because obviously at the end of the last series, we were getting this huge prophecy of the seven that that these seven demigods are going to be the crux of survival for the world as they know it. And we see that Hera's been intervening in this for years beforehand. It's very, it's a big thing because I don't know that these characters truly have free will at this point in the series. It's, it's de- it definitely feels like uh, it, with a, a series that is rooted in Greek myth, you're gonna fall into the fates quite a lot. And with the with the Oracle of Delphi and the uh, prophecies, it like happened quite a lot in the other ones, but it still felt like there was at least some agency that happened that you could go against the prophecies. Things just would go bad. Um, right. This one felt more like everything was predetermined from the start. And it, it, I'm not, it's not that that felt like wrong or different. I'm not saying that it's just that, Actually, no, I guess I am saying it's different. I'm not saying it's wrong, it feels a lot different. Well, because I feel like in the last series, we had a lot of accidentally fulfilling the prophecy. Yes. But this time it feels so intentional. And mm-hmm. I... I like, well, somebody, we have to do this. Yeah. And I will go ahead and preface this in case anybody's forgot. Brett has not read this entire series. I have. Uh-uh. Um, and I think, as somebody who's read this entire series, I think I have the kind of foresight to be able to say it. And the fact that... The, these characters, I think, okay, so I think the, their lack of free will shows how severe these prophecies are 
in comparison to the last prophecy. Because sure, the last prophecy was pretty severe. I mean, we see Kronos come back. But I think with the, the villains we are seeing set up in this book, that this prophecy is, has to go the way it needs to go. Mm -hmm. There are so yeah. many more forces against them. It has to go this way. Otherwise, we're, world gone. So yeah, I like I said, I think that's it. I don't really know for positive, and I've read the series multiple times. Uh, I would say that the the lack of free will is parallel to the severity of the situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that makes sense. It's also, yeah, like Gaia is quite a a step bigger than uh, Kronos was. Right, because this is oh, this is actually Earth. This the yes. thing we are on that could just whomp us away in a moment's notice. And we've seen that she has that ability. She's not even fully awake yet, mm -hmm. and she is wrecking them when they need wrecked. You know, and it falls into the prophecy they receive at the beginning about the fact that you know you have to be aware of the Earth. So, and that, and that. Of course, Gaia is set up as our big bad for the series. Um, and I think that energy, <laughs> that severity is what's really driving the lack of free will for these characters. Granted, we do see that they have just an itsy bit of agency. Yeah, it's... And I, it, uh, granted, I am stretching agency by using it in this mm -hmm. context. Because we have Piper who goes against, you know, everybody's telling her that she's going to have to betray her friends to save her dad. But they find a way around it. So that's a little bit there. Mm -hmm. um, we see multiple times that they have situational, like, agency. Like, um, they have situational times where they go against what fate would be kind of pulling them to. Um, we see it with Leo when he, um, you know, when he's told, I think it is by Gia, um, that, she, that he's like, he's important. And then if he pledged his loyalty to her, he would be seen as such. And he throws a toilet seat at her. <laughs> um, and then you have, of course, Piper being able to talk her way out of a lot of very tense situations. And Jason kind of turning away from multiple interactions he has that would offer him an easy way out. you have anything um, else to say on Fate and Free Will? Uh, a little bit. I mean, I... I'm like I'm looking at what uh what I've got written down here, which is uh it's written in shorthand and shorthand that I don't remember as much because I read the book a bit ago before break, uh, but I I did want to comment on that like I I liked that I I I liked that the sort of oh I've lost my memories trope I know that it can be a little canny uh but I do enjoy it uh but like I think that it's interesting when you play with a series uh that is so heavily reliant on free will to get rid of somebody's like memories entirely that both happened to Jason and Percy. It, I know. I think, I think it's kind of neat that it, they are truly just a pawn of the fates in that sense. And that, that does, I think that does contribute to Jason's sort of being a little bit boring, which we'll get more into uh, in his character or possibly Haley jumping to uh, defend him. <laughs> but um, it, he's, he's very, he's like milk toast, very plain, just, kind of does what he needs to in the story and i think that's that was what he needed to be in universe uh harrow's like he's not gonna do what i want him to if he can remember and he knows all his past so just make him make him forget make him do nothing but the fates right and with that i think we'll go ahead and move towards speaking of jason's kind of lack of identity this theme of identity as Jason is trying to relearn his personal identity, he is also getting the identity of Percy thrown onto him. At every, you know, anytime he's at camp, he's getting compared to Percy. He's being, you know, held to the same torch. And poor Jason just doesn't remember who he is. <laughs> and it's like, and with the name Jason, there's that sort of power there, of course, because of the Greek Jason myths. Jason the Argonauts. Yeah. And so we see... Jason trying to relearn himself so much in this book, and he really doesn't. He gets little pieces, you know. He mm -hmm. gets he gets remembering his sister. He vaguely remembers where where the Roman camp is, but not fully. And he is forced 
which is then that wraps back into the fate and free will, the whole relationship between Piper and Jason. But Jason just is trying to relearn the the kind of um, one version of reality or of himself that Hera has kind of implanted to mm-hmm. keep him in the like keep him in the narrative decently enough. And then also he's trying to remember his true identity. And that's not something that ends in this book. Yeah. Um, it, it, he's also, he's not the only person that sort of deals with that. Obviously, uh, Piper has her sort of identity crisis of, um, she is, she, she is, as uh, Haley said, sort of a bit of like a, not like other girls. And she is from the uh, deity of sort of like love and affection and it's sort of femininity. Spe- yeah. Femininity. Yeah. <laughs> And now see that like opens up a whole other category too when talking about Piper is yeah she is totally a not like other girls girl Um, and she states that at the beginning of the book herself like in her first chapter her hair is cut jagged she doesn't wear makeup she doesn't dress girly she dresses in very kind of honestly like an androgynous fashion style and she doesn't like all the girly things. And when she's walking around the camp with Annabeth, she's like, I wonder who my mother could be. Maybe it's Athena because Annabeth's super cool. I would love to be in the same, you know, sisters of Annabeth. Or maybe I'm insert miscellaneous female goddess here. But when she's chosen by Aphrodite, it kind of sets a rock in it. It throws a wrench kind of a pun there, um, in her, like, livelihood, because her entire existence thus far in this book has been disproving her femininity, mm-hmm. just for her to get shot right into it, with the goddess of femininity, really. Yeah. But we see her, her mother forcing, like, gender stereotypes upon her anyway, with the full face of makeup, the very even and pretty hair, the big, like, elegant outfits, twice (laughs) Aphrodite does it twice to her and it's there's also another part of Piper's identity that we have to address which is she struggles a little bit with her identity as a Native American and her identity in in the Greek myths and Greek culture um, after learning all this Uh, there are multiple times in this book where she's comparing Greek myth to Native American myth and it blends with the conversations she's having with her father um, and I think that weighs a lot in the Piper's character, and it's never really addressed in this book or in the series, really. Leo has a little bit of sort of identity crisis. Um, yeah, his stems from trauma. <laughs> yeah, his stems from both both trauma uh, of like thinking that he may have caused his uh, the fire that killed his mother, uh, and also fire powers are sort of. Uh, seem to be very dangerous not not only rare very dangerous and uh, i think it said that signals like a war is coming up soon yeah one of the one of the hephaestus siblings says something i want to say it's like nisa or whatever her nisa nisa yeah she says something along the lines i think that it's like this ability just marks like a like a scar Mm -hmm. in the hephaestus bloodline like a it is seen as a very negative thing. It's like a like an omen of bad things. Yeah. Um, which isn't necessarily untrue as we're seeing the prophecy of the seven unfold. But it really causes this kind of hiding that that Leo has to do. And he's he's, like... he's afraid. He's afraid to let anybody really know. And it just Leo also does a little bit of self-discovery because he's the odd one out. It's mentioned multiple times when we're in his perspective that he feels alienated, that he feels like an outsider, specifically when he's with Piper and Jason when they start to kind of rekindle or create a relationship. He feels very like the third wheel and he doesn't know what to do with that. So I think there, and that's kind of a theme that'll continue throughout the series is Leo coming into his identity, um, like into his self identity and his self-image but he's definitely very very um afraid of his own identity um and i think we kind of touched on this but there's a lot of secrets in this book 
Yeah, it feels like Jason's the only one that doesn't really have a secret. He kind of does. Yeah, I was going to say, well, he keeps the fact that Talia is his sister a secret for a little bit. But that's less of a secret keeping and more of a not sure how to explain it thing. Yeah. And then... I think this might be my sister, but also I don't know if I... Yeah, it's like a... Right. Well, and then we get a little bit about, like, his Roman side. That's like, everybody thinks Jason has a secret, but he doesn't. Mm -hmm. I think is where that comes in. But we see Piper's secret with having to betray her friends. And Leo's secret of his ability. And the fact that he's been seeing Hera so often. And they do the thing that, that Percy and Annabeth do at the very beginning of the series. And that's not, like, voicing their dreams to each other or letting them in on what's happening. And it affects their kind of success rates a little bit, especially at the beginning. Things get rockier because they don't tell each other about their dreams. They kind of figure that out by the end of the book, that they start kind of sharing what's happening. Mm-hmm. But secrets definitely are, are a thread that is woven throughout this series. Yeah. So, we have two more talking points, I think. Um, and we'll touch on this one lightly just because it's not a super heavy topic. And that's like family. Like we said, we have Jason kind of learning his family that he actually didn't really know about. Yeah, um, not, like, from my, not all. Right, from my understanding, even before the amnesia, he had no memories of Talia. Mm-mm. It's, I think it's, I think that he might, he, it seemed to, like it was like vague memories, but he was, what? Two. Two? Like three. Yeah, two when he got dropped off to get raised by a wolf. Like, okay. Right. Like, and so we see this kind of, like, family driving Jason. We learn that Jason and Talia's mom died. Not learn. We relearn through Jason's perspective that she died. That she was very kind of neglectful to her children because of the love she had for their father. Plural, singular. I, yeah. Same person, different father. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> but... But we see that she's pretty neglectful, so that just leaves them in the wind, and it's ultimately, we learn, that's why Talia ran away in the first place, like, 15 years ago, (laughs) which is very weird to think about, too, that Talia is, like, nine years older than Jason in the, like, the original section of plot here, but of course now they're the same age, because she has not aged any, and of course that drives the story, that that gives Jason a little bit more grounds, and then of course we learn about Leo's family we see that of course his aunt isn't real that's Hera Mm -hmm. and we really get to learn like how close he was with his mother and that he's been on his own since he was eight yeah just Rick Riordan really has a habit of just leaving kids to fend for themselves gosh it's it's almost like maybe someone just check up on his kids (laughs) well and there's two types there are two types of children in these stories that is the ones that get neglected and the ones who have the best rich parents. Like, yeah. Because then we learn and about Piper's they don't family. Stay around. <laughs> right? But then you learn about actually, Percy is the only one that has like a good family connection in this entire That's true. And even, even then, it started with abuse and the end <laughs> ended with straight up. I know, I know we kind of talked a little bit. I don't want to mince up mince words. Sally Jackson straight up murdered Gabe. <laughs> straight up murdered Gabe. This I is a complete tangent, but I would die in, for Sally Jackson. <laughs> encased him in stone and sold him to an art museum Good. to be viewed forever. Good. Or until it loses funding, because school funding is weird like that. Yeah, but she got her money. She's running. That's true. She's running. Um, but then anyway, we, learn, <laughs> we learn about Piper's dad, who yeah. seems to be one of the better parents that we've seen in this series because the times that he's been neglectful to his child weren't necessarily his fault it's yeah he's he's the he's like a big shot actor uh and doesn't get much time to talk at all and that right. also has a an assistant that is not only Me. very like money oriented but also being controlled by yes. uh the the, e, the giant starts with an E. Can't remember or pronounce his name. Yeah. And and that's another thing, too. With Piper's dad, it also offers up that duality in Piper, too. Um, because he plays, like, his big role that everybody knows him for 
is playing i think like the lead role in like this like in a spartan movie or whatever mm-hmm. basically he's playing a greek yeah he's um, playing 301 yeah and it's like and that offers a whole different duality in the piper but we just see how family drives this plot because it's it's jason's need to it's like or jason's trust in talia as family that allows them to kind of complete the quest it's Leo's fear and remorse for his mother that keeps him kind of alienated from the other two. And it's Piper's relationship and love for her dad that almost brings her to betray her friends. Mm-hmm. Um, so definitely family pulls a pretty, pretty heavy weight. <laughs> I, would also say, I would also say that uh, Piper's relationship with her dad is also the driving force that brings them to unite in the end, because she was going to betray them, but then they all agree, like, hey, we, we got family stuff going on, too. We'll help you with yours. Uh, we are, we've all already had our arcs, so, like, <laughs> kind of focus on you. Um, so I think it, not only is it, like, she's re- reuniting with her, like, uh, blood family, but also with the sort of found family that they, uh, she's sort of created here. Which actually brings us really well into our next talking point, which is like all three of our characters served as a bridge at some point. And we could start with Piper because that's how we're going to segue into this here. Yeah. So Piper kind of serves as this, this bridge between the mortal and the demigod world. Mm-hmm. Um, and we see that, like Brett was saying, with the bond she has with her dad and is the reason that the quest really gets complete. Um, and we see it a lot in their battles. She uses, she doesn't fight. She uses very just human. Let's talk it out. Mm-hmm. Obviously she's got a little bit of charm speak behind yeah. her, but it's this that helps her that helps them. Yeah. In French, uh, that helps her kind of get through a lot of the trials that they're put through in this verse, like the first half of the book for the most part. Um, Piper is also the only one of these three that has been in, like, the normal mortal world. Because Leo's been in, like, we learned that he's been in and out of foster homes and send away Mm -hmm. camps for years. Jason, assumedly, has been locked up at the Roman camp for years. And also mind-wiped. Yeah, no thank. Um, And so Piper kind of serves as this, this grounding force for them, but also the the means of mixing the mortal world into mm-hmm. their world she is and i think we made mention of this but if we haven't i'll say it now uh this book perspective wise is a uh, heck of a lot different than the other books it changes who it follows each chapter or just about each chapter and it's not as witty it's not as witty uh we can roll we'll, uh, we will talk we'll get into sure, that sure. yet uh but when it does follow piper it feels a lot more not expository but it it feels a lot like did in the beginning percy jackson books where it is showing you oh this isn't like this like there's a lot of conflict in sort of just uh, not not confusion but sort of bewilderment piper grounds the reader into yes the demigod world Mm -hmm. we and that's really true like what we see of camp of course We've seen camp before, but the new and improved camp post-war, we see through Piper's eyes for the most part. So she's not only the character's gateway to the mortal world, she's our gateway as the reader to their world. So, Yeah. Um, and then, of course, we have Leo, sir. Leo's bridge is a little less clear, but I think it's still there. Leo kind of serves as this bridge between modern and ancient technology mm-hmm. and we yes. see that in Hephaestus really the dragon um, we see obviously it's made of celestial bronze it's a very kind of regal style mm-hmm. but it's littered with crazy technology that's unthinkable mm-hmm. it's, it's also uh he is the camp kind of, or I should specify, the Hephaestus cabin is uh, having some troubles. They're claiming that they are cursed, uh, and they are, that sort of shows that they are still kind of dwelling on the death of their last uh, sort of head of the, uh, head of the cabin. Uh, that is what they are sort of focusing on. They are stuck in the past of that, forbearing uh, stuff to come with his 
powers, but also trying to sort of usher the way that like we have to kill the dragon. There's no other way. Uh, sort of like a traditionalist uh, set or mind view. And then Leo comes in, uh, all modernist, and goes, "No, I'll, I'll deal with the dragon. I'll go and figure out what's wrong. I'll try to fix him. If 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 that's what it's going to take, then that's what I'll do." And that sort of shows that he is he is adapting to this world that he is not familiar with, but he's doing it with a sort of fresh mindset that the other cabin members of Hephaestus can't see and thus is able to fix solutions or come up with solutions that nobody else could have thought of at the time, which is bridging, uh, like you said, the world between the ancient and the modern. Well, and we see that too in him finding the Bunker 9. Yes. Um, this Bunker 9 is from, it's tucked back into the forest of, of Camp Half-Blood, and we're led to believe that the last time it was opened was like Civil War, era, like tradition, yeah. actual Civil War area, era, so like 1860s, um, at least according to Hephaestus. And so we have Leo kind of connecting what they could be producing to this historic kind of landmark that he finds. Mm-hmm. Of course, not as ancient as the society itself, but definitely a little bit of the past, though. Yeah. Right. The 1800s are ancient. (laughs) They didn't, they, my, my, my metric for something is ancient. Did it have Seinfeld? Yes. No. It is now ancient. (laughs) I was going with like running water, electricity. Streams are Bathrooms in your house. See, but all of those things you could say like, oh, one or two people. Seinfeld was not on TV at any time before 1990. It is a dead point. I anyway. hate that. <laughs> um, oh. <laughs> anyhow, but our bridge that we do here actually called the bridge multiple times in the text is Jason. Um, Jason is supposed to serve as this bridge between the Roman and the Greek. And it's true. <laughs> Um, we see him a lot serving this purpose when he's speaking Latin to Chiron, um, who actually has a very negative response to Jason. He's not yeah. the friendly go-lucky guy that we always see him as in the, in the original series. He's just like, why are you alive? Why are you here? He, it's, not, it's not only like he's confused to see him. He's, you shouldn't be at this camp. Like, <laughs> like, he, he, like, it's almost as if Chiron is piecing things together. Not not just quicker than the audience, but like quicker than anything else. He's like, I see what's happened. And You're it's here, bold. which must mean Percy's yeah. Well, and it's like, and that's the thing too is Jason is our first hint at the Roman camp. He is the first Roman demigod we truly meet. He is he is what's teasing what is to come. Um, and of course, we we mentioned multiple times that there is this this focus on reuniting these two camps in the prophecy in Hera's words and in the purpose sending Jason to Camp Half-Blood has so and it's it's pretty true Jason does serve as even even in the later parts of the series he still kind of serves as that bridge between characters in arguments he's very Mm level-headed Uh, he literally crosses a bridge. He is the first one to cross the bridge That's, to get to uh, Piper's dad. So, um, I, in... I like that he can fly. I had the question of like, <laughs> shouldn't, shouldn't Allie be able to fly? She's but afraid of heights. She's, like, she yeah, she's, she's afraid of heights, so it don't matter. And you're like, up, oh, got it there. <laughs> well, and I always assumed Jason's flying ability was much like, um, like Leo's ability to use fire i mean we learn that like each godly parent has something for the most part has something like that um we learn in the in the apollo like the trials of apollo series that the apollo kids have the ability to literally glow like each each cabin like like, crack a bone glow stick like kind of like no they can just force themselves to glow that's that's not I mean, okay, never mind. I was going to say that's not useful. That's actually <laughs> extremely practical in, in every day. Um, Just not if but, you're trying to hide. Right, right, right. But, and, well, it's at will. It, like, they get to choose. Oh, okay. Um, Pana intended the character we see that do that, to do that as well, but that's a whole different. Um, mm-hmm. But, no, but we see, and I think, like I said, I just, 
think of Jason's ability to fly very much like Leo's ability to control fire. Um, and we see later in the series that even Athena kids have a little bit of a version of this, less power driven, more mind driven, um, even charm speaking with Pipers. So, um, but now we're going to enter our, our favorite time of the day, uh, rant about the authors. Yeah. Um, this whole series follows the same format, which is there are three narrators and every other chapter, every couple chapters, it switches POV. It gets worse. It's, yeah, okay. Like, this book this... is not the worst one about this. How can it not be? Oh, no, 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 no. Okay, so you know here how it's like, really the POVs are just used to show dreams from the other characters or to give you a backstory. The other books, it's to show different plots. And I get, okay, my opinion, that's a little worse because it's harder to follow. But at least here, you know that you are still on the same timeline. You're still in the same setting for the most part. Oh, no. Um, Next book is pretty similar. But when we get into the final three books of the series, we're on separate continents. No. Oh, yes. Uh, Specifically, the last one, the last book specifically, we are on separate continents by chapter. Um, And like I said, and it's done well enough, but it's still uh, confusing, especially when you come out of the Percy Jackson series. You lose a lot of Percy's wit, because obviously he's not air rating. Um, you, you lose a lot of the wit that I love and feel nostalgic for when reading the books. Um, you lose a lot of the humor. This book isn't as funny as the other books are. And it's, it's like, you could tell he's, Rick Riordan is trying to make it funny by, by cracking a joke at Leo's expense or using Leo as comic relief, but it doesn't stick. It's not funny. Um, yeah. That now, does okay, get better. It has, some, I will, it has some moments, though. Yes. I will give it that. There are some funny moments. And it does get better. Okay. He gets more into how to write funny from different characters' point of views later in the series. Okay. That was one of the, like, the main draws of the series for me. Like, I enjoyed it. And other than having a podcast on it, uh, one of the reasons I <laughs> um, was that I thought it was funny. And I thought the perspective of... Because a lot of things in first person or... Uh, kind of close. I, I'm not sure if you want to call like a close I, third or a close, yeah, like, a, like a limited third. Yeah, like a limited third. Uh, things like that always feel a little bit more like now sometimes. Uh, but like the way that it was written, that was part of the charm, and it, was, it had wit to it. It was funny. It was entertaining. This just sort of brought away a lot of that, and what me and now was like investment in the story. And in the sort of world, there was less entertaining bits to this, if that makes any sense. You can tell that this is a, the beginning of the series. Yeah. This is setting up, there is so much it is setting up for the rest of the series. And this it's is fun. Chamber of Secrets. Yeah, really it is. Um, and it's like, he doesn't have the balance of like battles to exposition in this book at all. Uh, he randomly sprinkles the battles in trying to do it, and it just doesn't stick. Um, the humor isn't as good. The characters even seem a little flat. I enjoy these characters, but they, they come off as a little flat in, compa- in comparison to Percy. Also, I really don't like learning about the world I already know through a character who has no clue. Let's look at Harry Potter we are given this limited, very similar perspective to what we're given in this book, that limited third person. And we are learning the world through a character who has no clue. And in the sense of Harry Potter, it's fine because you're learning about this crazy and expansive world. That's why Sorcerer's Stone doesn't have to be super action-packed. Even in the first book of Percy Jackson, you know, all the way back in uh, Lightning Thief, we see, we get to learn the world through Percy learning the world. And it works because the character, you have no clue. You're learning with the character. But in this, you are learning the world you already know through a character who has no clue. But there are also pieces of information that the character doesn't know that you're just supposed to fill in with your background knowledge. And it's, it's got to be one or the other. It's either you and the character can't know anything about the world or 
that you and the character have to know most of the things about the world. But yeah. the back and forth where the character knows nothing, but you don't get all the information, so you have to fill in your own gaps, it just doesn't, I don't vibe with it. <laughs> it yeah, if you want to introduce that, I think, as, as hard as it would be, I think the, the one way to do it is just, just sort of like, what? I'm a demigod? And then star wipe and be like, oh, okay, I get it now. Like, we don't want to have a, an explanation. And also, like, I can, I can understand if maybe this is going to be like, oh, some people might start this series from here. This isn't where you're starting Percy Jackson. You're starting it with Percy Jackson of the Olympians. Um, right. So I will say this gets better, and we'll talk about this next episode when we get into Son of Neptune. But it just really, it just doesn't work the way I think Rick Riordan wants it to work. Yeah, because not only does it get confusing this, but if it's like you're saying where it changes continents, I'm not going to remember that. Like, I hear that? That's the same peeping rattle around up here. <laughs> like, I'm not, I'm not going to be able to keep, I'm going to forget plots instantly. It's, I, flip over I, will, I will say that it isn't as bad because it does focus on three central characters every book. It isn't, you know, it doesn't get to the point where every, every member of the seven is narrating or whatever. We digress. We will go ahead and flip over to characters, where of course our three main characters are going to be the three characters we discussed today. Yeah. And I think we've talked a lot about um, about Piper. She's a little, little pick-me-girl-esque. She's really struggling with her identity in herself and her femininity. Uh, she comes to terms with it eventually. I like Piper. Not as much in this book as I do in the rest of the series. I, I liked her. I find Leo's character in this book so annoying. No, he, I, I liked Leo. I, I he he gets better, but I just don't. I don't like Leo in this book. I do like his magic tool belt. I like. I'm gonna say that he, in my mind, is smarter than Annabeth. I'm, That's I'm a, a bold claim. That's I know. I'm gonna claim. drop that here because he, Leo. Now I do see a lot of myself in Leo, in the kind of like, uh, like always told that you're stupid, always kind of under yeah. underestimated. Mm-hmm. Um, and I will give him credit back because he absolutely, every time somebody's like, ah, stupid, he's like, no, 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 no. Uh, <laughs> pipe cleaner airplane that flies. Like, like he's, he's a very smart character, uh, but I just don't like his narration. I think I hold it, I don't like his narration style. That, that's fair. I think he brings a lot of needed levity to this book. I will give there you that, is, yeah. There is not much. Um, and I, th- I think he's extremely important for that. Uh, not to mention, I don't know, I've always liked, I've always liked those, those sort of like Hephaestus-based powers. So I've, I, I, I like that. So like the techie stuff. Upgrade was my favorite alien in Ben 10, uh, as <laughs> I think everybody's was. Plus, I like the, I like the magic tool belt. It reminds me of uh, like a D&D item that does the same thing. I also... Call me a sucker for kids who think that they killed their parents. <laughs> like, I feel like every time I see that in media, and I guess it's not the most common trope, but like, <laughs> it's more gotta, common than it should be. It's more common than it should be, but like, I don't think I've ever disliked a character that I've seen uh, that, like, who thinks he's killed his parents but didn't actually, uh, and like, uh, and like, they're like, a bad person like almost every single time i like that character so like sue me but that's fair um and then we get we get jason i actually really like jason i feel bad for jason um i think rick riordan craps on jason a lot unintentionally jason just comes off very flat but has so much potential to be such a good character i i also i'm a sucker for like the golden retriever boys Jason's just a golden retriever boy. That's, that's fair, but also he just, I don't know. And we talked on this. There's a reason that he is like that. Because it's because they wiped his mind and he needed to be a plot, or like a pawn for the fates. That was his entire deal. In story-wise, I get that. Riordan, please give him a smidge of character. Just the smallest <laughs> of a sprinkling, a smattering of character, please. He's he is like as milk toast as it gets. <laughs> so, uh, and first off, the phrase milk toast always makes me laugh. And it's so sad because Jason, like I said, Jason has so much potential to be such a good character. Just there's there's not much that 
there. Like I, I truly am struggling to come up with anything. It's he's like he's loyal to his friends, but that not to like a not to like a Percy Jackson level. Uh, he's not really that sort of. He doesn't have anything that really stands right to him other than trying to figure out what his memories were. Now, I will give you credit. In this book, he isn't super... I am definitely grabbing from what we learn about Jason in this series and in the next, in the, like, Trials of Apollo series. But as of now, his only trait that I can see is trying to reclaim memories and kind of having a thing for Piper, but also kind of remembering a girlfriend at the Roman camp. But that's other than that, it's really it. And those aren't character traits. Those are goals. And but they're kind of treated as character traits. I'll give you that one. And plus, like, you're related to Talia? And you're you're... this boring. (laughs) That's not physically possible. You have punk rock queen Talia Grace. And then you have milk toast golden retriever boy. It's like if you're like uh, yeah, this is my sister, Lady Gaga, and I'm Tim. Like stamps? <laughs> like, Jason would totally have, a, like, a coin collection. Yeah, no, he definitely collects, like, different mints of, like, the golden drachmas. Like, oh, <laughs> this one's, this one's a really, this is from, uh, uh, in Greece. Like, oh, that's really nice. <laughs> but yeah, uh, there's, I, we could stretch this one out for Fellas, I don't think there's much more to say on Jason. No. If he gets into development, I would love that. But as of now, there's not much. I, I Which just leads us it. into <laughs> MVPs and LVPs. Uh, oh. I think I've I think I have televised my LVP. So maybe <laughs> I'll start with that one. Go for it. Do it. Um, my LVP is Chiron. No, I'm just kidding. It's Jason. <laughs> uh, he is. He does exactly what he. I, this is going against my normal sort of theming for MVPs and LVPs, because uh, he does exactly what the story needs to be, and the story would not even get anywhere without him. But he does it in such a boring way that you know what? <laughs> you had to break it, your pattern. Yeah. If you put me in this story instead of Jason, nothing would change. Not because we're similar people, but because. You could put a golden retriever. You could put like a goose with a blonde wig in in place of him. And nothing <gasps> would change as long as he honks in the right directions and sort of goes. And up. can fly. <laughs> yeah, literally he's fly. You They're put, just too lazy. They don't do it. Put a jetpack on a golden retriever and you're good. That's it's he does he does so much for the story, but does he does so much but does so little if that makes sense it's just i don't like him that's fair um i don't know who my lvp was gonna be you said it as a joke but i think i'm gonna go with it as chiron it's it's um, nah that he, was like up and running he knows what is ha- he is a he's big brained it he knows and he doesn't voice it i understand also we learned that he knew about the roman camp the entire time and it's yeah. like it's like I understand, but also your job as a teacher should be helping these kids, and you're not. You were pulling a Dumbledore on this. It's yeah. disgusting. You really said, "Hey, kid, you should be dead." Instead of being like, "Hey, I understand you have no memories and you're lost. Let me help you." He trainer of the demigods, my butt. Get out. I here, will. Chiron. I will interject for a little bit of sort of covering his butt there. However. Chiron is Chiron is not saying I want you to be dead. He's saying I thought you were dead and now I don't know what to do. Right. Like, I will I yeah, I'm probably being a little harsh, but Yeah, he also he is a I will say though, he is a teacher. He is supposed to teach and educate and maybe if you educate them correctly, they will not start going to war every couple years. Also, maybe they'll have a personality. Yeah. Like, <laughs> if you're like, "Hey Jason, you came from the Roman camp." Um, I think I know vaguely about your family. He'd be like, <gasps> please, do I like anything? <laughs> Come on, give me something. GBBO at least anything. Yeah, oh. like red eye coffee. I just need something to work with here, guy. Okay, uh, MVP? Uh, I, you know, I think I had a couple MVPs. And I okay. think the only one that's really sitting right with me 
is choosing Festus the dragon. Oh, heck yes. Because I, I love... He deserves I, all the hype. I love all my, like, pet characters in those. And he got them from point A to point B. And when he went down, it was very sad. He kind of he got the sort of uh, Iron Man 1 fate of he flew too high and then got brain and then stopped working. Uh, also with some magic in there. But, like, I thought he did not deserve to go. Uh, I, I loved him. Uh, got him. Did, did what he needed to do and more for the series. And made a pretty cool cover for that book. I will agree. Festus deserves the hype. Um, I'm going to go against my usual pattern for this. I'm going to say Hera. Okay, okay. I hate... I, I, you guys aren't seeing the footage uh, of our gross Zoom call, but Brett is seeing my face, and I just... Uh, <laughs> I hate it. at the mouth. I hate it. But without her, the story would not have kicked off. This prophecy wouldn't have been able to, to kick off. Yeah, sure, she got captured because gods but she played such a heavy hand this story would not be the same without her heavy involvement in it um i'm pulling mine out of your book brett are you proud <laughs> this is <laughs> this is usually what you do um but the story I am proud. the story would not have been able to happen without hera pulling strings in the background yes, I, I definitely agree so, I think that's it for today. I think, that, I think that's all we got. I think that's we all we got. We really did it. So, um, thank you guys so much for listening. Um, see you guys later. Bye. Yeah. Oh, wait, we're reading Son of Neptune next week. Yes, yeah, sorry. That's you. I, I forgot. That's usually my bit to say, and I forgot. We're, we're reading you, Son of Neptune next week, and we will catch you guys soon. Bye. Bye.